All right, uh, kids, you are dismissed for your worship this morning. All right, if you have your Bibles, this is normally where I would say turn to the book of Acts, but that is uh, not the case this morning. If you have them, turn to Second uh, uh, Corinthians 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5 is where we're going to be. Second Corinthians 5 is where we will be this morning. Um, uh, so what we're doing, the game plan this morning is simply this, is that... Um, we're walking through the book of Acts. And so last week, uh, we see something happen, and I believe it's something that we need to kind of home in on, something that we need to look at that's gonna help us um, as men and women of God uh, as it pertains to other men and women of God um, and just even the lost world. And so what we're doing is we're gonna just kind of home in and just focus in on uh, what we see happen in the scriptures last week. And so uh, last week, we see Paul uh, and Barnabas getting ready to head out on their, what we know as their second missionary journey. And so they're back in Antioch, and as they're getting ready to head out, uh, there's this sharp disagreement that comes up between the two of them. And the disagreement all centered around the reality of does John Mark go or does John Mark not go? And so what we know in that story is that somewhere along the lines in the first missionary journey, John Mark dips out on him and heads back to Jerusalem. And so in that, something happens, and it's something that we have no idea really what took place or the motive or the heart or the reasoning. Uh, Luke, as he pens the book of Acts, he, uh, he doesn't say a word about it. He doesn't mention, he doesn't give more uh, commentary on it, he doesn't give more information, anything like that. And so we've got, um, we've got Barnabas wanting to take John Mark, and Paul says, no, we're not taking him. And so the sharp disagreement happens, and as that happens, uh, Barnabas ends up taking John Mark and going a different way. Paul ends up taking uh, Silas and heading out a different route, and so uh, that's what we have happen last week, and so we, we kind of coattailed off that and talked about James 4, about how really the issue is the passions and desires that are within us, and so we talked about conflict. We talked about what was going on in the scriptures a little bit, and so my heart this morning is this, is that we learn how to walk out what needs to happen in those moments in our life with other people. That, that we learn how to do relationship better, right? That, that we learn how to handle and walk and love and care for and show grace and mercy and discipline and accountability, all of those things in a way that brings God honor and glory. So I'm gonna ask you this morning if you would join me as we pray and then we'll jump in here in a few moments to uh, 2 Corinthians 5. God, love you. Uh, Lord Jesus, we just thank you again for all that you've done for us. God, we thank you for relationship. And God, most of all, we thank you for the relationship that you have given us with you. And God, that happens by way of your son, Jesus. And God, we are grateful. God, you have created us as relational beings. And so there is a need of relationship first and foremost with you. And then secondly, God, with other people. And so God, in that, sometimes the waters can get muddy. Life can get difficult. Relationships can be tough. And so God, we pray this morning that you would move in a way that brings you glory and honor in this place. God, that your Holy Spirit would invade this place this morning and you would do work in the life of believers. And God, for those here that don't know you as Lord and Savior, God, that you would save and rescue them and initiate with them the greatest relationship they'll ever have, first and foremost, with you. So God, we give you freedom to do whatever you need to do in this place. God, through me, through the men and women in this room, God, this is your place. And so God, we ask you move. Jesus, thank you again for what you're gonna do. Thank you for your word. Thank you for not just creating us and leaving us, but God, you have stepped in and you have modeled and you have shown and you have spoken to us, God. So through your word, we have the blueprints on how to, how not to, God, everything. So God, again, thank you so much for all you've done for us. God, speak in this, this place this morning. And we pray, amen. All right. 
Amen. Um, so we, by our nature, we're separated from God. So just us being born, we are born sinful, and as a result of that, we're separated from God. And, and that separation is because of sin. And so as a result of that, we find ourselves on crooked paths from time to time. We find ourselves wandering in places we shouldn't be wandering, trying to satisfy our souls in a way that, that we just can't satisfy our souls. Things that we try to cram and stuff and do uh, that, that would bring satisfaction when really all it does is fall away. And so in those times, on those paths, paths uh, there'll be collateral damage. There'll be fallout. There'll be things that happen as a result of that, and especially in the realm of relationship with other people. So what we need to know is that God, by way of his son, has made a way for us to do relationship right, first and foremost, and that's with him. And then secondly is relationship with everyone else. So what has happened is God has righted the relationship vertically, and he's done it through his son Yet there's still issues horizontally as we walk out life with other people because though we may be saved, though we may be believers, we still fight a battle day in and day out with the flesh. Day in and day out with the flesh. We, we may be saved and we may be found in Jesus Christ, but Paul talks about it over and over and over. You see it in his writings that we've got to die to self, die to self, die to self, take up your cross and walk, take up your, so we need to be dead to the things of the world, but the problem is this, is we're still in the flesh. And the flesh has yearnings and longings that are contrary to the spirit. So there's always gonna be that battle. There's always gonna be that fight there to follow and do what God would want us to do, to do what God has called us to do. And so when we fail to do that, usually what happens is it fractures. We're still in him, but it fractures us relationally with God. And secondly, it will fracture us relationally with other people. And so what I want to do this morning is I want us to press in and see what we need to do to, to walk this out better as the body of Christ. How we live amongst one another. And so I just want to take a real quick poll real fast. And so this is like um, uh, participation is encouraged. And so this will, this will help tremendously. Um, and it's not, I'm not setting you up for anything. This is just, this, I, just, I just want to see where we're at this morning. Just take a, just a poll. So participation, I need you. Um, so the question I want to ask you is this. How many people in this room over the last 12 to 18 months have had a falling out or some sort of disagreement or confrontation with somebody? Get them up, show them, that's good. Go ahead, leave them up, that's good, all right. Good, okay, Look, no, no, leave them up for a second. Like, we need to do this, this is good. This is for our good, this is, this is okay, okay. All right. all right, you can put your hand down. You don't have to answer this one, but think about this for a moment. How many of you who raised your hand would say that you're a believer, that I believe God has forgiven me, I believe that God delights in me? So in that, think about this for a moment. You've got good vertical relationship with God, you're a believer, you're a Christian, you walk in, in relationship with him, but the problem is horizontally, you're still having some havoc, some things going horizontally. And so the question I wanna to try to answer this morning is this, how are we to engage in such a way that honors our vertical relationship with God? How do we engage in relationship with other people in a way that's gonna bring honor and glory to God, even when, when they may be crazy? Because it's never us, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. I'm happy you guys agreed. So okay, so 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5, 14 is where we'll start. We've got some scriptures to look at this morning. So 1 Corinthians 5, 14 is where we'll be first. As you're there, it says this, for the love of Christ controls us. So we are compelled and we are controlled by the love of God. So for those of us that are believers, it's God's love that controls us, compels us. We're motivated in how we live our lives by the love of God made manifest for us in Christ. That's how we live. It's his love that compels us and controls us. So we read about it, we see it lived out, we see it played out, all of those things, and that compels us, controls us, draws us to him, how to live out. It says, because we have concluded this. So as a result of his love compelling us, this, this, is, what we, this is where we've landed, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. 
and he died for all, that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who, for their sake, died and was raised. So what Paul's saying here as he pins this letter to the church in Corinth is that we're dead. We're dead and we've been raised to walk in newness of life. Think baptism for a moment. Dead to self, raised to live in newness of life. That's the picture that's being painted here. We, we've been resurrected with Christ to walk in a way that's much different than our old ways. We've been raised to life in him and to live and act and walk and react the way that he would react. So what that's saying is this, is now my behavior is compelled by, controlled by, motivated by, not just duty, but because of the love of Jesus. So as a result of me being compelled, me seeing, me being in Christ and seeing that love lived out, it's no longer a duty, but it's because of that love, I'm gonna respond and react in a certain way. So verse 16 says this, it says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, so we regard him no longer. What he's saying is this, is I now see with spiritual eyes. The way that I look at people, the way that I see things, everything, everything that I do now is run through that filter of Jesus, through the gospel. See, at one point we didn't have the ability to see with spiritual eyes, but, but now we see with spiritual eyes. We look at everything differently now as a believer. Everything differently, everything is run through the reality of, of ultimate truth, which we have, this is in God. Everything we do, how we act, react, how we, every decision. And so the reason that I see different now is because the love of Christ compels me. It's the love of Christ that motivates me because I've been a recipient of that love and that love has transformed how I see Christ and how I see others. So as a result of that love, it changes everything about us. Everything about us and even the way that we see and look at other people. Verse 17 says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So what Paul is saying here to the church at Corinth, to the believers at Corinth, is what I want to echo this morning in this place. Every single one of us, if you have ever wondered if you have a mission or a purpose in life, Paul just tells the church at Corinth what theirs is, which, which could be applied to our life as well. That, that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, every single one of us. And so what that does is that, that plays on the part of relationship this way the horizontal type relationship. So every single person in this room this morning, you've got a ministry, whether it's with children, whether it's with adults, whether it's with college, whether it's with youth, uh, th that's irrelevant. The ministry that every single one of us has been given is the ministry of reconciliation. So what does that mean? I'm happy you asked. Because reconciliation defined means to change from opposition and hostility to friendship. It's, it's to work on relationship and be made right. So what reconciliation does is it crosses distances. It overcomes hostility, it opens access, it melts indifferences, it cultivates peace. That's what reconciliation is. And what Paul's telling the believers at Corinth is that that's your ministry, that's what you're called to do. Reconcile, make right with other people. First and foremost, their relationship with God. So you tell them about Jesus, you share the gospel, you walk out what the gospel looks like in their life. You do all of those things all the while engaging them in conversation, praying for and seeking that they would come to know the Lord and in that they would be made right with him and with other people. That's what Paul is telling them to do. And so what we know about biblical reconciliation is that it makes us uncomfortable. 
That's what it does. It pushes us out of our comfort zone. Why? Because we have to engage in a new way now. We have to go after people who want nothing to do with Jesus. We have to engage in relationship those that may even be hostile toward the gospel. Those are the things that we have to do as it is concerning reconciliation. And then even those in the body, we have to do the same thing. Be made right with each other. And so it causes us to pursue peace with people we find difficult. It causes us to pursue peace and live in harmony and unity with people that we find difficult. So can we just talk for real for a moment? Some of the most difficult people to do relationship with is the lost world, is it not? And we, this church, we can be honest, right? We can be real. Yeah, absolutely. Why? Because their standard is not our standard. Their values are not our values. Their morals are not our morals. And it's not our morals, but it's, it's what God has set up in his word. And so the lost world is difficult sometimes to engage and do relationship with. It's very difficult. Why? Because they're against Christ. They're against the things that, that we're against. The standards by which they live is nothing like ours. And so what we have to do is understand. And so, so often what happens in the church is we get frustrated when lost people live like lost people. You know what I'm saying? Well, they're out there doing this and that. They should be. Why? Because they're lost and lost people are going to act like lost people. A dog's not going to act like a duck. If it does, you threw it on YouTube and you get a ton of money. That's what you do. But it's not going to happen. Why? Because a dog's going to act like a dog. Why? Because a dog's a dog. A duck's a duck. They're going to act like what they are. Same thing with, with the lost world. We can't expect them to act and live like believers would act and live. And now hear me. I have ran across some loving, gracious, kind, caring lost people that want absolutely nothing to do with Jesus. So all, all lost people don't live as we would consider lost there's some very good lost people, but the problem is this. The scripture says that there's none good, no, not one. So even in their best effort, they fall woefully short to live up to the standard that God has set in his son, Jesus Christ. So we have to engage. We have to take, take the gospel to. It causes us to pursue peace with people that we find difficult. The second realm of people that we have to do life with that can be difficult sometimes is people inside the church, is believers. It's just difficult to do life with people sometimes. You know how I know that? It's because we're all individuals wired differently. As many people that are in here this morning, there's that many opinions about every single thing in the world. Everything. Now, some of us may have some similarities. Some of us may have some likes. Some of us may fall in the same place on some things. But the reality is this. Every single one of us wired just a little bit different, different passions, different wants, different desires. And in that, what does that, that cause? That's, that's a perfect storm for a little blow up, is it not? We've got strong personalities. We've got personalities that submit easier. I mean, there's all kinds of different makeups in this room this morning. And so we're called to live out reconciliation with people that we find difficult. So even within the church, we're at a, we're at a number of different places, are we not? Just think for a moment the whole discipleship process. So, so what Paul's saying is this, is as he looks at people, Jesus was the same way, very, very intentional with the way that he looked at people, with the way that he assessed he looked at it in two realms. One, do they belong, do they belong to Jesus or do they not belong to Jesus? That's how, that's how I do it. I want, do, do, are they a believer in Christ or are they lost? Because then in that, what it does, it helps us break down to figure out how do we interact with these people? Where do we go? What do we say? What do we do? How do we model? All of those things. And then once we figure out that, if they're a believer of Jesus or if they're not, then once we figure out that, then what we're doing is we're assessing to find out where they are spiritually. Because just because somebody has known Jesus for 40 or 50 years does not make them spiritually mature. Does not make them far along in the process of, of maturity with Christ. Your age does not equate maturity when it comes to spiritual things. 
What do you know? How are you living it? Are you on mission with Christ? Are you making disciples, raising up disciples? Are you, are you pouring out your life? There's a number of things that come into play when we wanna talk about maturity spiritually. And so we have to live with people like that. And what it does is it causes us to, to pursue peace with people that are different. People, pursue peace with people that are in different places than we are. So Paul goes on in verse 20 and says this. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implored you. He's like, I beg you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled with God. See, we all come together by the reconciling power of the gospel. He says, first and foremost, you've got to be made right with God. Got to be made right. We've got to be found in Jesus Christ. And that happens through the redemptive work of the cross. That happens through the reality of what he's done for us. That's where our sin is forgiven. That's where we're made holy. So we're made right in Jesus' redemptive work on the cross. And it's in the church where the re- this reality reigns. God's presence is felt in the midst of a world that's divided. We should be the greatest model of what it looks like to do relationship together. We should be the greatest model, uh, uh, an example of what it means to do life together. How to work through conflict. How to rejoice with each other. How to be excited and ecstatic for one another. All the while holding each other accountable and caring for one another. We should be, we should be the mark and example of that just under Christ. But so often it's not the case, is it? So often, what, what is the consensus about the church? Those people couldn't get along to save their life. Uh, those people, they don't even, uh, they just come and this Jesus guy's brought them here, but, but, but they don't even care enough for one another. They don't even love each other enough to, to do anything with each other. They come and they sit for a little bit and then that's it. They argue, they fuss just like the world does. They throw stones just like the world does. Some of the quickest people on the planet to crucify their own is the church. Some of the quickest people on the planet to to throw under the bus, to look for blood, is believers, with other believers. Benefit of the doubt is never given anymore. Grace is never applied or extended anymore. We don't walk out what it looks like to do relationship the way that Jesus does. We are known more for what we're against, for what we can't stand. We are known more for killing our own than anybody else on the planet. And what Paul is saying is that should not be the case. Verse 21 says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. So what we're seeing here in 2 Corinthians 5 is this creating of this kind of rhythm that you and I are gonna live in that we're controlled and compelled by Christ, that he's the driving force in us, showing us, teaching us, modeling for us, all of those things. I believe that we need to, to, to press into Jesus and the difficult parts of following Jesus. So let me, let me ask you a few questions to kind of maybe hit a nerve this morning. Who are you keeping your distance from? Who, who are you avoiding? Who are you hoping that you won't run into around town? Whose presence makes you feel awkward because of maybe some painful history? Who might you owe an apology? See, what I've learned is that's just the sanctifying work of God in our life. You want to know how God raises somebody up in maturity in Christ the quickest? It's through relationship with other people, and especially those who are different than you those who act different, talk different, walk different, those who are opinionated if you're a reserved kind of back person. You wanna know how God really uh, sanctifies and, and raises you up? Just go get married. Put one sinful person together with another sinful person together and let them live together for a little while and see what God does in that. Yeah, he'll sanctify us and he'll work on us real quick, will he not? 
It's like, golly, I mean, I had so much stuff to learn when I got married. The towel doesn't go there. <laughs> Underwear is not made to just go anywhere. There's a hamper, especially if they're dirty, they go in that hamper. Scott, do you not know that dishes don't just sit on the top and get clean themselves? Never knew that. Had no idea how that process worked. I mean, there's all kinds of things that God has done through that relationship, my marriage relationship, to help sanctify me and grow me in him. He's taught me how to love better. He's taught me how to serve more. He's taught me how to be humble. Because I, 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 don't, know, I don't know if there's many of you in here like this, but I like to be right. <laughs> what I've learned is not about being right. It's about being unified. That's what it's about. And church, hear me, that's, that's what we're trying to get this morning. See, if we say we love Jesus and the gospel, can we let any relational breakdown go on and on and on without at least trying to reconcile, without at least trying to make right, without trying to at least engage? See, there's three parts to this whole thing. There's yours, there's God's, and there's their part. So anytime there's a rub relationally with anybody, there, there's your responsibility to try to make right, to try to reconcile Whatever God presses upon your heart to do, whether it's a conversation, whether it's taking them out and having talks, whether it's going over there, whatever, the, a phone call, whatever it is, if there's, if there's strife or issues relationally, it's our responsibility to try to reconcile. But it's not my fault. It doesn't matter. We're going to see that here in a moment. It, it, it matters no whose fault it is. It matters no different. If God presses upon your heart to engage relationally with somebody that there may be some fracture, then you do it. You engage, you walk with, you have conversation, you ask questions, you do those things. Whatever God presses upon your heart to do because we know what God's gonna do. God's desire and God's heart is to bring back together. Reconcile, make right, restore. I don't care how far the relationship's gone, I don't care where it's at, God's heart is always to restore, make right. And then you've got the third factor, the other person. How will they respond? What will they say? That's not on us. We do what God presses on our heart to do. Everything around the reality of reconciliation. So maybe that person, that church, or that group won't listen. But it doesn't matter what their response is. It matters if we're gonna be obedient to Christ or not. And we're called to make an effort. The way they respond is on them. We're called to be obedient to what God calls us to personally. And hear me, if we are unwilling to try, then we are in practice denying the gospel. If we're unwilling to engage, unwilling to walk with, to try, then we're being, we're being disobedient to what God has called us to do. I don't care who you are, I don't care how you wanna slice it or how you wanna cover it or what you wanna say. So what do we do as the body? What do we do as a body? We, we do what Jesus says and we love. John 13, 35 says this, he says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. How, how's that? If you love one another. So how will the world know that we belong to Jesus? How does the world grasp and get? How does the lost world, the darkness, know that we, we are light bearers? How does, how does this lost world know that, that we are made right in Christ, that we belong to him, that we've been reconciled to Jesus? How do they know? Not by how many Bible verses we know. Not by how many posts we put on Facebook. Not by uh, wearing the t-shirts. Not by showing up and parking your car here and marching your little tail in and having a seat in the pews. None of that stuff shows the world that we love Jesus. The way that we show the world that we love Jesus and belong to Jesus is the way that we love one another. That's from the mouth of Christ himself. By this, all people will know that you're my disciple, that you're walking with me, that you love me, that you care for me, that you belong to me. 
Not by all the ridiculous stuff that we do, but by the things that's the most difficult to do, and it's love one another. So I believe we need to define love because in our world today, it's lost its meaning. In our world today, it means everything, so therefore, it means absolutely nothing. It's lost its power in this culture. Uh, Let me prove it to you. I'll say things like this. Like, I love my wife. I love tacos. I love my dog sometimes. I love my kids. I love golf. I love the mountaineers. I love all of those things. But the question is this. In our English language, do we not lose the meaning of that by the overuse of it? So what do I mean when I say I love my wife and I love tacos? See, this is the part of the sermon where I may be coming home with somebody today. Because if I answer that question wrongly, I'm not coming back home for a while. You see what I'm saying? But is my love for my wife and my love for tacos the same? They better, how ridiculous is that? Like I would die and give my life, I would serve tacos? Oh, they're paying me money, you know? I mean, how ridiculous and crazy is it? But I say stuff like that and so do you. So do you. So even when we see this, I, I, believe, I believe we're a little thrown off by it. All people know you're my disciples. How if you love one another? Well, I love everything, so we're good to go. No, that's not what that means. It's lost its strength and its stamina. The word that Jesus uses for love is one of its greatest levels, most intense levels of love here. That's what he means. See, love is an act of the mind and will, the determined care for the welfare of someone. It's strong emotions, it's dedication and commitment of choice. See, that's what love means, but we don't live that out well. Love means that I'm gonna go the distance regardless of what I get out of it. I'm gonna be committed and all in regardless. Let's read it this way. By this, all people know that you are my disciples if you are committed to the end regardless of what you get out of it with them. That's how they'll know. Church, my question is, who are you doing life with like that? But they've hurt me, but they've said this, or they've acted this way, or they've done that, or, or I've heard that, or they posted and, and they didn't like my post, or they, uh, heaven help us over the ridiculous stuff that we, we fall apart about. Help us. See, the problem is nowadays, see, in the word of love, it tends to give the benefit of doubt to. So we don't tend to be very gracious despite the fact that we're recipients of unmeasured amounts of grace. We have the tendency to attack quickly, to be disappointed quickly, to grow frustrated quickly. That's our tendencies. We have the tendency to, to lash out and wound others when we feel like we've been offended. That's how we respond, not in love, but in a get even. Or if there's even an appearance of injustice, whether it has been injustice or not, we are ready to jump. See, the world, the world, those outside of Jesus would know that we belong to Jesus by how we interact and care and love and walk with one another. And my fear is the church today is missing it. My fear is the church today is not loving each other well, is not loving the way that Christ loved. See, love is about, about reconciliation and about unity. That's what it's about. Flip over to Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 3 real quick. We've got two more places we're gonna look at this morning. Matthew 7 is the first one. The other one will be in Matthew. We'll get there in a moment. And so listen, listen, to, listen to what's said here. Matthew 7, verse 3 says this. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? For how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. When I think about it, I think, I think this is what I think. That's probably a little too big. 
So you're looking, your brother looks like this. That person that you're walking with or that person that's your neighbor, that person that's sitting on this side or that person sitting on that side or that person sitting up here or back there, this is what it looks like. Can you believe the speck in their eye? Man, that's probably even too big still. Can you believe? Hey, do you see? I don't even, still probably a little too big. I can't even see anything. It's there, I know it's there. I've read between the lines. God has given me the gift of discernment. Man, I just know. Yes, I'm my brother's keeper. I'm trying to keep him right, you know what I'm saying? That's what God's called me to. And so we see the little speck in their eye. All the while, the reality is, forget the speck for a moment. The problem is this with us. Yeah. Yeah, 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 we're busy looking for the speck in their eye when all the while our life is falling apart. Our life has got, got all of this stuff. We're not following Jesus. We're not being obedient to Christ. And the little thing, we are so concerned and worried about getting everybody else right that our life has no resemblance of Jesus at all, hardly. But heaven help, we'll get them where they need to be with Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Or I'll take my speck out and I will wear their tail out. We laugh, but that's the reality of it. I mean, how, how ridiculous, how ridiculous and crazy is this? This is what we're doing all the while, trying to find the speck in everybody. You, you, no, me. Oh, I know, yeah, I know you. No, you, yeah, you. Yeah, we, we're, we're so busy doing this all the while. We got this huge honking log in our eye. We can't even see what Jesus looks like, what it's supposed to be like. And so what this scripture is teaching, what, this, what Jesus is saying is this, is that introspective is where we start first. We start first looking inward and seeing and asking God to reveal anything in me, anything in me. God, where's my shortcomings? Where's my failures? Where's, where's the sin in my life that I need to take care of before I go to my brother? It's about humility, so we need to ask questions like, what do I need to own in this moment or this situation? Or, or maybe, what have I done? Or, or where have I added fuel to this fire? Or, where have I thrown my own logs? Or, or God, where, where in this situation in my life? Maybe you're using that speck in their eye to reveal the log in mine. See, the thing is this, we're so quick to point out the, the faults and failures in everyone else when all reality, that's probably some of the stuff that's going on in our life. And by God's grace and mercy, he allows us to see it in others with the intent of us making it right in ours first before we approach our brother and sister. That's the reality of what he's trying to teach and get to here. So my mind will quickly reveal the sin that I'm walking in if I go that route. But my tendency is to do this. I try to justify my sin before the Lord. God, this really isn't that bad. God, God it's, it's, this isn't too bad. God, this really isn't my fault. Did you not see how they did what they did? God, was you not aware of what, what happened over there? God, you saw that Facebook post. The whole world did. I know you had to. And so we'll be so quick to point out there. I will be so quick to justify my own sin because of the ridiculousness of their sin, all the while God wants me to see the big log in my eye. So I'm quick to jump to. I'm quick to say stuff like, Scott, like you're, you're not like that or you would have never done that. It was their fault. They forced you into it. No, church, hear me. When you sin, that's a choice that you're making, not them. 
You're responsible for your own sin, your own life, and how you live that life. And one day you'll give an account and hear me how crazy and pathetic it'll be when we're standing there. If we're even standing, I don't think we'll be standing, I think we'll be face down. But when God says something, you'll be like, God, time out. Do you not remember how crazy my neighbor was? Those people that I worked with, God, you had to get some of that. And he'll say, I don't give a rip what they did. This is you and me, Bo. This is a you and me. Your relationship with me is not dependent upon anybody else. You don't get in on mom's coattail. You don't get in on attendance. You don't get in on good behavior. You get in on being made right with the king of kings and lord of lords. That's how you get in. And he is going to look at you individually and he is going to ask those piercing questions. And those excuses will be washed away because they won't matter. I mean, there was sin in your life that you needed to deal with. I don't care what they did. I don't care how they responded. And this is a personal, relational, one-on-one thing. You and me, son, that's how we do it. So what this scripture is teaching, what it's showing is this, is that we always check ourselves first. We always check ourselves Before I go looking for the little, the little speck in somebody else's eye, before I go looking for this, I always check this. God, revealing me. God, showing me in my heart. God, what, what's the log in my eye? What's the log in my eye? How, what I see in somebody else, how is it really just a reflection of maybe something that I'm struggling with or maybe something that I'm going through? God, what do I do there? That's what we do. We check ourselves first. So we as the body of Christ are called to do life together. And this is what I've learned. The closer we get, the way we do life at a deeper level, one of the things that the Lord does is show us, he's gracious enough to show us our inconsistencies. The more that we walk with somebody, the more that we care for somebody, the deeper relationally we go, the more gracious God is in showing us our inconsistencies. You don't believe me, ask your wife. Men, women, you don't believe me, ask your husband. Yeah, yeah, we, we see those, why? Because we're around each other all the time. Why, because we're together a lot of the times. Well, because we pick up on certain things. You don't believe you have inconsistencies? Let me ask your best friend. Let me ask your mom and dad. They've been around you the most. They know, they see. And see, that's just a good gift of God's grace. He allows things to be seen. Hear me, church. We can hide for an hour or an hour and a half, but we can't hide for all time. We can come in a service week in and week out and we can sit here, we can put the little mask on and we can be good little Christians, our Bibles, all of that stuff and we can hide in the crowd for an hour to an hour and a half but you cannot hide doing relationship with someone. You will be made known. You will be found out and that's a good gift of God's grace. Scott, why do you say it that way? Because Jesus loves you enough not to leave you where he found you, but to continually draw you to himself, to sanctify you and to grow you up in him, to mature you in him. And so it's a good gift of God's grace. Our last scripture this morning, Matthew 18, 15. Matthew 18, 15. And this is normally the place that everybody wants to go first whenever there's dispute, whenever there's stuff in the church or there's stuff with somebody. This is the place that we want to go. This is the way that we, that we want to handle it. But I believe that those other scriptures are pertinent first. Are we loving each other the way that Christ loves us? And are we evaluating our heart? Are we checking the sin in our life? Are we looking at the muck that we walk through, the things that we look at, the things that we talk about, the way that we act, the way that we react? And I believe once we've landed at those places, then we do what Matthew 18, 15 says. And, and I believe, I just believe there's gonna be a word here that we're gonna talk about for a second, just kind of touch, that's a very important word. But, but let's not get hung up on the word this morning. That word is sin, and hear me, I just wanna put a disclaimer out front. Sin is very serious every time. 
And so this scripture is gonna mention sin and my response to, well, how big of a sin does it have to be? Any sin put Jesus Christ on the cross. We always handle sin, church. We never look over it. We never wax over it. We never let it be okay. We never just, just fluff it under, the, under the, the couch for a little. No, no, we always, always, always handle sin. Always. But I don't want us to get stuck up there. I want us to think, don't just think about it while somebody sinned against me or didn't sin against me. Well, I'm not gonna count that sin, so we're okay. It, that doesn't matter. I believe that this is a formula of how we do life together. I believe this is the formula to how, how we love each other well, how we're obedient to Christ and walk out relationship. If we want the world to see that we belong to Jesus and this is how we love well, Matthew 18, 15 says this. He says, if your brother sins against you, again, any sin, I don't care how big or how small in your book, sin is sin and sin needs to be dealt with. And I'll talk about it more here in a minute, why. He says, go and tell him his fault, how, between you and him alone. How do we do that, one-on-one? -on -one. And he says this, if he listens to you, what have you gained? A brother. That relationship has been restored. Those issues and struggles have been brought to the light. And so the way you handle it first, church, any dispute, any aggravation, any riff, any fracturing of relationship, this is just a beautiful formula of how the body of Christ should be. Your brother does anything against you, man, you go tell him it's fall between you and him alone. One-on-one. -on -one. And so what I wanna say is this, can we just love each other enough, care for each other enough to do this? Can we be for one another enough to live this way? Hear me, this is so contrary to the world that it would rock, it would knock their socks off if we lived this way. If the church would love and care for one another enough to just go and talk to somebody that you feel have slighted you or that you feel has done something to you, if we could get past our own hangups or we could get past fear or, or being a coward or, or whatever, that not loving well, whatever the case is, if we could love one another the way that Christ has, then we can do this. That's, that's what it's about. It's not about pointing them out. It's not about tearing them down. It's about unifying them. It's about gaining your brother. That's the heart of this verse, have gained your brother. So it's not a rally a group together. It's not tell your best friend. It's not uh, offer a public prayer request. It's not, it's not about any of those things. Man, if you feel slighted in any way, then you go and you make right. It's a go to them is what it is. It's to have a conversation and show them if, if you feel like there's something. Why one-on-one? -on -one? Because sometimes there's nothing. Like you don't know the amount of phone calls that I've had to make in my, in my life. Not to mention in ministry where I've had to pick up the phone and call somebody like, hey, we need to talk for a second. Like, yeah, what's up? I said, I don't know if you picked up on this, but God has just really convicted me. And I said something stupid, stupid, stupid the other day when we were together. And I said that, and, and God has convicted me. And I just wanna say I'm sorry. And you know what? Nine times out of 10, the response is like, dude, I don't even know what you're talking about. You crazy. We do it for the sake of looking crazy. Why? Because it's about being obedient to Christ. And we want relationships to be mended. We want, we want unity. We don't want fractures. We want togetherness is what we want. You don't know the amount of times that I've, I've had to call somebody like, well, dude, I did something really dumb. You were there. You probably saw it. And like, what are you talking about? Okay, good. So wasn't that dumb? All right, we're good. No, I, I just need to apologize because I felt like God stirred in my spirit that I needed to call and apologize. You don't know the amount of times that I've had to do that. And they're just like, I don't, I don't know. No, I'm not offended. I'm not hurt. I'm not. We do it for the sake of unity in the body. And another reason why we do it one-on-one -on -one is because this, the more a person's sin is made known, the easier it is for them to become more resentful and hard-hearted. 
The more their sin is stirred up for more people to know their junk to be made known before everybody else, the, the easier it is for them to become resentful, want nothing to do with the church, want nothing to do with Jesus, and the easier it is for their heart to become even more hardened toward believers, toward the church, toward Jesus himself. So that's why we do it one-on-one. Well, because I care for you enough to come to you, man. I love you enough to come to you and walk this out together. And yes, it's difficult, and yes, it's messy, And what I know is this, and we'll just level the ground for everybody, none of us is fully there yet. So this is going to happen, or this will happen, or it should be happening. If it's not happening, then chances are you're not living out relationship well like Christ would want you to live out relationship with fellow believers. Because all I know, for me following Christ, those that I do life with, I do boneheaded dumb stuff from time to time, and they love me enough to call me on it. But you know what, if we're doing this all along and doing relationship like we should be doing relationship, you know when those people come to me and say, Scott, I've just noticed something. What's that, brother? And they share and they tell me, it's not a big deal. I don't get blown out of proportion. I don't freak out on them. I don't, I don't pack up my bags and leave. I, don't, I, I listen. Why? Because I'm already doing relationship with them. And so this, this is just the natural look of what relationship looks like. Scott, do you know what you said there? No, help me, brother. What I say? Scott, did you know how you reacted there? I, I, man, I was unaware of it. Scott, did you know what, what did you, that, that commercial or that TV show or that, did you, was you, no, man, help me. Maybe I'm blind to it. Maybe I've overlooked it. Maybe I've, so for doing relationship like this, this is what it should look like. And, and so for us as a church, we're a covenant community. We're a covenant community locally and universally. So, so what that means is simply this. Us as believers, we have said this universally to anybody else that's a believer. We have opened up our life, pulled back the curtain in such a way that anybody has the right to approach us and ask us anything about our life. Anybody has the right to come to us and ask questions about things that that represent Jesus well or don't represent him well. Everybody is the body. But we've got to know that not everybody's for us just because they come to us. So we've got to be careful. But secondly, locally, within the body of Christ, here in New Life, believers in this room this morning, what you've done is said that you're entering into covenant with each other to be a part of this church to be a part of this church. What you're saying when you sign that covenant is I want accountability. I want people to walk with me. I want people to love me well. I want people to call me out. I want people to encourage me. I want people to pray for me. So here in a, in next week, whenever we have this covenant class, we're gonna go over what it means for you to be a believer in this local body, what it looks like, what we expect, what we're hoping for, what we, we wanna commit to one another, journeying together, that's what we're gonna do. And in doing that, we're saying that we're open to this kind of relationship. We want this kind of relationship with people here. It's not that you call me on something and I just get ticked and I leave. Or I I hit the first flight out or I find another church or I find another job or or I get another neighborhood. How crazy. We can't live that way. We can't live that way. No, God has you all the way in here. We're committed to him and each other if you're a covenant member here. And let's journey and do this together. Church, can you imagine what God would do in this community if we lived this way? Can you imagine what he would do? See, the whole point is what he outlines there at the very end of this verse. It's about winning your brother back. It's not about being right. That's not what this verse is about. It's about being right or about showing them or about shaming them. It's about winning your brother back. It's not about justice. It's not even about being justified. Church, this is what it's about. It's about being concerned for the soul of our brother or sister that would make us enter into an uncomfortable situation and risk the relationship for the reward of winning them back. That's what it's about. That's the heart of confrontation for the believer. 
that we engage in such a way is that we love so well that we don't want to see any of our people sin. We don't want to see anybody sin and fall into that snare and that trap. Because what I've learned about sin is it'll take you further than you want to go and leave you at a place you never intended to be. And it starts small and it just grows and grows and grows until it leaves you at a place you don't want to be. So it goes on in verse 16, he says this, he says, but if, you do, but if he does not listen, take one or two brothers along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three. This doesn't mean that you recruit other people to go to this guy. It doesn't mean you, hey, you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't like Jojo, right? You, you still don't like Jojo? I remember you had a problem with me the other day. He wore a pink shirt and that like just really ticked you off. You still don't, okay, come with me. I've got something about Jojo we need to, that's not how this thing works. You don't find people that don't like Jojo and then you take them to Jojo to confront Jojo. That's not, that's not the heart behind this. Again, the heart has been unified and reconciled. The heart is about winning your brother back. That's not how you do it. It's about, man, we've seen this in you. Surely those who you, you've known best or who've walked with you the longest, they've sacrificed in love for you would see this. See, this isn't a ploy to, to exert control over someone's life. It's about love. It's about restoration. So what you do is you find two or three brothers that are close to the man, close to the woman, sisters, and take them with you, not to gossip or to catch them. You do it in humility. Remember the, remember the log? You check your log first, and then after you've checked your log, you go after their speck. With other brothers and sisters who care, want to see them unified and restored in the body. That's what you do. That's what you do. It's all about loving someone well. And then verse 17, it says this, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Tell it to the church. Because that's always like, how do we interpret that? What do we do with that? How, how do we do this? But, but hear me, even this is a form of love and grace is what this is. It's all about restoration. So how is this gonna play out for us here at New Life? I wanna say this, Sunday morning's not the place to do that. I just don't believe that Sunday morning is the place. There may be a time that we have to do something like that, but I pray to God that it's not. And the reason why I say that is because we have many that are here this morning that aren't covenant members. We have many that watch online that aren't a part of New Life outside of the reality that they just attend a service or they just watch us. They're not covenant members here. And so we don't wanna do this type of family business in front of people who aren't family. We don't wanna do that type of family business in people that, that, that aren't committed and aren't here. And so the way that we believe that this would happen when they refuse to listen, you tell it to the church, it would primarily take place within a life group or discipleship development group with those who are doing life with them, where they approach them and they try to love on them and graciously show them maybe their error or their sin. And then if that doesn't happen or doesn't work there, then it'll roll up to the, to the pastoral leadership, to the trustees, to, to that realm. It'll roll up there. But again, at the end of the day, our desire is love and restoration. That's what it's for. So you're meaning to tell me that this church will do that? Absolutely. What I've learned, church, is this, is if God's word says to do something and we don't do it, what that's called? Sin. Rebellion. What does, what does God think of sin and rebellion? He hates it and despises it enough to kill a son on a cross for it. To pay a ransom that we could never pay. To be a sacrifice that we could never be. That's what God thinks of sin. So why would we not care enough about it to try to do the same thing? Church discipline is not about running somebody off or it's not about being mean to somebody. It's about saying that I love you enough that I want to journey with you enough that I want to, want to do this with you and see you restored and reconciled. That's what it's about. 
It's all about love and restoration. And then look at what it says to close. It says, and if he refuses to listen, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Like, there it is, finally, we can get him now. You're exactly right, we can get him now. Because how did Jesus teach or treat the tax collectors and Gentiles? Yeah, did he not love them? Did he not go after them with the gospel? Did he not care for them? Now, relationally, some things are gonna happen, some things are gonna change. If they refuse to listen to the church, they'll be, what's happening is if they do that, they're revealing that with their behavior that they're probably unregenerate, meaning they're probably not believers. I mean, if you have somebody come to you one-on-one and just try to point out, try to share lovingly, and you fight that, and you have a group of two or three that, that you've done relationship and life with, that you trust and love and care for, and they do the same thing, and you want nothing to do with it, and then your whole group comes around you and tries to lovingly challenge you and show you, and you want nothing to do with that, and, and the pastoral leadership has to get involved, and you want nothing to do, what is that showing? All I know is I know my heart and I can't be that right. For 500 other people to see what I'm doing but me to be blind to it, what it's telling me is this, is I probably don't just got one log but I got two. And I'm looking like this right now. That's what that's showing. That's what that's revealing. So it just shows the heart. Our heart has to be that of restoration and love. Has to be. We share and love them all centered around the gospel. Again, relationally it's gonna look different here. Because if it goes that distance, you're, not, you're, you're gonna be removed from covenant membership. You signed up for that. You said, yes, I'm willing to enter into a relationship like that. But we're gonna love you, and we're gonna pray for you, and we're gonna still do everything we can to try to show you and reveal to you that your need for Jesus. Church, that's how we do it. So as the band comes back up, last week we saw these two godly men for some reason couldn't settle, could not land at a place where they could get along and they could move forward. I don't know why, I'm not here to even give any insight on why that was the case, but what I know, there was a a great dispute within them, and as a result of that, that friendship and that bond was broken for a while. But what we do know is the way that Paul pins and the things that he says about Barnabas, the things that he says about John Mark would show that somewhere along the way that there was restoration, reconciliation. Church, that's how we do difficulties with each other. That's how we live out confrontation. More than anything, that's how we love each other well, like Christ has loved the church. It's not about me, but it's about the betterment of everybody else. It's about seeing them grow and mature. That's what it's about. The driving force behind our relationships has to be love, has to be. Every single time, every single time, love, grace, mercy. I mean, I wanna see that brother restored. I mean, I wanna see that person I've got a riff with or whatever the case is. God, I want it to be brought to the light because if it is, All I know is when things are in the light, they can't be hidden. But in darkness, things can be kept away from, unseen. So God wants to bring things to the light. He wants us to live well with one another. It's a representation of how Jesus has loved us. I mean, did he not come after us and call us out in our most vulnerable, difficult, worst time when we were enemies of his? That's what we've got to do. We've got to care for one another enough to love one another well. This is the difficult parts of following Jesus. This, this, is, this is, you want to talk about being mature, this is how we grow up a little bit. When we handle situations like this, when we walk out ways like this with each other, that's how we do it. That's how, are people going to hurt you? Absolutely. Is there people in this place that's going to hurt you? Absolutely. Chances are it's probably going to be me because I know that I'm still fighting the flesh. I know that I still struggle. And the reality is this, so does everybody else in this place. And the way that I know that is because you're alive and you're breathing and you're here. 
But man, imagine what it would be like if we lived like this. Imagine what it would do for the world. Imagine what it would do for our community. If they saw the church be the church, like the church should be the church and love each other well enough to do life that way. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what maybe God has stirred in your heart, but I wanna do it different again this week, just like we did last week. So it's gonna be a little different with this response time. Franklin's gonna lead us in a song, but I never, ever, ever, my job here is to tell you the truth regardless of how bad it hurts and press you into the truth regardless of how difficult and awkward it's gonna be. And so my hope is this, is that we're never a people that hears the word of God and walks away and doesn't live out the word of God. So altar time traditionally has been one of those things. You come down and you pray and you get yourself right before God. And if you need to do that, you do that. And you don't have to wait to a song to do that. You hear me? Like if God wrecks you in the middle of a song at the beginning, you come pray. If God wrecks you in the middle of, of, of me sharing the gospel, you come. If you need to be saved, you don't wait till the end to get saved. You get saved in that moment when God calls you. You don't have to wait. There's no protocol how we do this thing. Now we want to do it orderly. We want to do it the way that God wants us to. And if God wants you to come be a believer, you come be a believer. Or if God wants you in the middle of a sermon to go get somebody and take their butt out, out to the, my office over there or to another office or to a room and you talk to them about maybe some stuff, then you do that. So for altar call for us this morning is we want to live that out. So maybe there's a riff here this morning with somebody. Maybe there's frustration or maybe there's something or maybe there's sin or maybe, I don't know what it would look like. But hear me, altar call isn't just coming down here. Altar call is handling our business as the, the people of God. So sometimes it's difficult relationship. Sometimes it's walking across the sanctuary and saying, hey, can I just talk to you for a second? Let's go to the altar and pray and then let's go talk. Or maybe it's stepping out for a moment and making a phone call or shooting a text to somebody and saying, hey, I need to talk to you in about 10 minutes. I want to be calling you. And then after the service, you step out and you do that. Or maybe you just go now. I don't know what it looks like, but you be obedient to whatever, whatever it is the Holy Spirit's leading you in. Because anything other than obedience is rebellion and rebellion is sin. And sin always puts Jesus on the cross. And we don't want to be responsible for that. We want to make right and do everything that Christ has called us to. So that's the way we handle conflict and difficulties, brothers, sisters. Man, imagine, imagine what Acts 15 would have read like if Paul and Barnabas would have done that. Outside of Jesus, Paul, probably the greatest man to ever live the Christian faith. Was it a blunder? I don't know. Was it a sin issue? I don't know. But imagine, maybe chapter 15 would have kept going before we jumped into 16. And imagine the impact they could have had if they'd have done it differently. I don't know. But all I know is this, is that you don't have to take that chance. This morning in this place, God, help us be obedient to what you've called us to. Help us to live out. God, help us to love well and be obedient to your word to following you. God, help us. God, my prayer you just help us to care and love for one another enough to do the difficulty of relationship. Jesus, thank you for modeling for us what that looks like. God, we need you. Fill us with your spirit. And we pray. Amen. Franklin's going to lead us. You, you do business with the Lord. If you'd stand, you can sing. Or if you need to go make right, whatever it is that God calls you to in this moment, you be obedient to.